Mark chapter 6, the main point from last week was this simple phrase, but powerful phrase, is that God does not call the qualified, is that he qualifies those of us who are called. In other words, when God calls us, he gives us everything we need to serve and to share him. Now last week I mentioned there were six principles in this passage that we were looking at, and last week we looked at one. This week we're going to look at five. We're not going to do one and one and one. We're going to do five this week. The first uh, principle last week was the kind of the overall arching principle, the guiding principle, if you will. We looked at what Jesus meant when he says that he summons us and he calls us to himself to spend time with Jesus. It was the motive and mission and mindset that we get from being with Jesus. And then the last five principles flow out of that mindset of time spent with Jesus. We see in verse 7 that Jesus summoned the disciples to himself, that he calls them to himself. Uh, he, he calls them in, a, in the idea of before we serve him, we need to be with him. Uh, so we looked at the question, what are the distinguishing marks of your having been with Jesus? For Jesus, ministry to others was not his first priority. His first priority was intimate time with his Father. And so it needs to be with us. Because when we're with Jesus, it gives us this priority, this understanding that our work is not temporary, but eternal. Jesus is calling us into a deeper, slower, more intimate, and eternal way of living rather than the fast-paced, temporary things of this life. And we understand that more and more when we are with Jesus. Last week, we also challenged ourselves with this idea of serving Jesus and sharing Jesus is not a mindset of what we have to do out of obligation or even something that we want to do, but it's something that we get to do. And being with Jesus helps us understand that. <clears throat> then we see Jesus uh, calls him to himself, and then he sends them out. Now, there is a point in our lives where we will have to face this crossroad of faith and action which we call obedience. Now, the disciples have called, been called by Jesus, been summoned to Jesus, and now he sends them out. And he sends them out in a unique way. He sends them out in pairs. And we talked about last week, being pairs, it gives a credibility and a unity to the message that we're trying to proclaim in Jesus' behalf. And the last part of verse 7, uh, the last part of verse 1 said that Jesus sent them out with power and authority. And that's what Jesus sends us out with as well. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Now this morning we continue in these remaining verses in verses 8 through 13. But before we go any further, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity you give us to come and to bow our heads before you. Thank you for a day where we can come and be reminded together of your goodness to us your grace, and your mercy. God, we thank you for a time we can come and be reminded by your word that you are with us, that you love us, that you have equipped us and empowered us. God, I pray this morning as we read your word that you would help us lift Jesus up and that people would be drawn to the likeness of him. Would you take a minute and pray for the person in front of you or behind you or beside you that they would hear from the Lord this morning. Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, where we're going to read verses 7 through 13. 
And he, Jesus, summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over unclean spirits. And he instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey except a mere staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belt, but to wear sandals. And he added, Do not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. Any place that does not receive you or listen to you as you go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. Verse 12, They went out and preached that men should repent. And they were casting out many demons, and they were anointing many with oil, sick people, and healing them. These next five points have five words. The point, each point is a word, so we can help remember it. Dependence, attentive, discerning, simple, and power. Now, in the first verses, 8 and 9, we see this idea of dependence. It says this, that he instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey except a mere staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belt, but to wear sandals. And he added, do not put on two tunics. Jesus summons them to himself. He sends them out in pairs, and then he gives them instructions. And he says in verse 8, take nothing. No extra baggage was to be taken. They were to hit the road unencumbered by extra provisions. Now, the word take here means to don't pick up stuff on your way either. In other words, as you go, do not pick up or carry anything extra. So Jesus goes on to further to clarify what they can take. According to Mark, there were things that they were permitted to take and things that they were to be left behind. The things that they were permitted to take, if you picked up, was a mere staff, clothes on their back, and sandals. Jesus says, take the bare basics, the bare minimums. Now notice what is to be left behind. No bread, no bag, no money in their belt, no extra tunic. No bread, meaning don't take any food with you. Now, how many of you like to pack snacks wherever you go? No snacks were taken with the disciples. No bag. Jesus is referring to this bag as a travel bag. Most people had a travel bag, and they would put different things in it. Uh, a knapsack, extra clothing, uh, some necessities. It's kind of like what we would take on uh, the plane, like a carry-on bag. You know, you have that extra change of clothes. You have that extra medicine. You have all, no bag. No purse. No wallet. Some of you are thinking right now, I'm not sure I would have followed this thing with Jesus. No food, no bag. No money. The word for money here is chalkos, which means a small coin. Now, just as a side note, the way they uh, did things back in the Jewish culture is they would have on a tunic, and then they have an extra tunic, and the tunics would hang low on the sides of their arm, and inside the sides of their arm, sometimes there would be little pockets, and they would take this extra tunic and put the money, this small change, inside their tunics. And so Jesus says, no bread, no food, uh, no money, and no extra change to put inside there, and then he says, no tunics as well. No extra tunic. So even if you needed food, you didn't have money to buy food. No extra tunic. The tunic was this extra garment that they would put on the outside to keep them warm, but it's also served as a blanket when they slept. Now, how many of you can sleep without a blanket? I can't sleep without a blanket. Gotta have cozy, you know what I mean? Comfort. 
Jesus is putting some bare basic, bare minimums, and some of you are thinking, my idea of roughing it is like the Hampton Inn. <laughs> the disciples were going to be roughing it. I don't know about you, but it would be a challenge to think of Jesus summoning him, us to himself, being sent out in pairs, and then being told what you cannot take. There was a dependency on Jesus. They weren't to go in fancy caravans. They weren't decked out in a bunch of clothes or jewels. They didn't have like fancy camels to ride in on. No cash. It was almost as if they were flying under the radar. Simple people. And what's the point? The disciples were to trust God to provide for all their needs, totally dependent on God. And so are we. It begs the question, as I was thinking about it this week, what is it that I am dependent on? Not in theory, but in reality. What if God called you to live without your phone? What if God called you to share and to serve Christ without Wi-Fi? Without restaurants? Without a debit or credit card? No easy access to money. Are we so dependent that sometimes we're dependent on Amazon, that two-day shipping? What does it look like for us to be totally dependent on God? And I'm not saying any of those things are bad. But it does pull into question, what does it mean for us to be dependent fully on God? I think in some ways, when we start thinking about phones and restaurants and Internet and Amazon, and we take those things away, it kind of puts us in a culture of understanding what the disciples may have been thinking of what they thought they were dependent on. And they were being sent out to be dependent on Jesus himself. So it begs a great question, are we dependent on the created or the creator? Are we dependent on the things and blessings of Jesus or Jesus himself? Think about the disciples, if they had gone out with a, a big wad of cash, they had plenty of food, suitcase full of fancy clothes, had plenty of tents and a, a suitcase full of tunics. The recipients of the message would probably be confused. It reminds me of a story in 1998. Me and Penny and Ed Hirschman and Tim Hutchinson went to the Pocock people of Africa in Loiwat. And we began to work with these people at Loiwat because they were going to build a mission station. And the reason they were building the mission station is because whenever you drill a hole and have water, life around the water happens. And so we prayed around this place where the geologist and Ed Hirschman used to think he was so awesome with this uh, two clotheslines that he could cross together as a divining rod. And, it, and we, it crossed at this point, it crossed at the geologist point. Right here is where the water was. They drilled a hole and no water. We circled around that hole where they were going to drill, prayed, no water. And then we left. They drilled again, water. 
So one of the biggest lessons in my life was this, is that if we would have prayed and they would have hit water while we were there, they could have seen the water coming from us rather than God. But when we left, they were totally dependent on God to provide water, and he did. In the same way, the disciples are sent out fully dependent on God to meet their needs. Jesus wanted to make sure the message was that God is their source of sharing and service. There's another reason I think that Jesus gave them these instructions is that not to pick up anything, it reminds us of what Hebrews 12, 2 and 3 says. It says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. In other words, those other things can cause us to be entangled and to hold on without a clear purpose and clear source of purpose and strength from Jesus. He wanted the disciples and you and I to be free, to move fast, to be able to move as the Lord leads. These next two practical points go hand in hand in verses 10, and that is to be attentive. Verse 10 says this, wherever, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. How many of you have ever had something really awesome happen to you? Like super incredible, like maybe with sports, or, or maybe it was like something at work, or you caught this big fish, or your kids do something awesome, or maybe you get a hole-in-one playing golf, you get a new car, a new house, you get a promotion, you have a kid, maybe, maybe not in that order, maybe the kid needs to come first. Maybe you're a new grandparent. Isn't it much more exciting when there's somebody you can turn to and celebrate it with than just having it for yourself? That somebody is actually listening. How many of you have been talking about something really awesome and you looked over to the person you're sharing this really awesome thing and they have, they're not even paying attention at all? Yes, dear. Yes, that sounds nice, dear. Jesus wanted his disciples to be intent on those who were interested. Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. He's saying two things in this verse. Find an appropriate place of accommodation where you are in that town or area and be satisfied to stay there until the work is done. In other words, learn to linger. Don't be too busy and too hurried and go too fast. Matthew, in his account of the same story, says this, when you find a home that's worthy, not worthy in in material things, but that the host is worthy, that they are interested and they want to hear more, don't be in a hurry to leave. Stay there. In other words... Jesus is instructing them to pay attention to those who want to hear the message of God. Anyone other than that, an ungodly association, could harm both the personal testimony and the spirituality of the mission. In other words, Jesus is telling them, pay attention and be careful with whom you are associated as you go out. It's not a message to stay away from sinners, but a caution to be aware of how our association can bring us down and pull us away to that which we were called. How many of you had parents that said, who are you going to be with? 
Who are you hanging out with? 1 Corinthians 15.33 Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. So as Jesus sends them out, he's telling them, pay attention to those who are interested in the gospel message. Now the custom of the day was that when visitors from a different area came into town, it was the responsibility of the townspeople to accept visitors and show them hospitality. And so Jesus is saying, pay attention, who's going to show you hospitality? Who's going to invite you in? And be ready to stay there. Now, this doesn't just happen. We are to look for those who are hungry and hurting for a message of hope. And here's the key principle. Jesus is telling us, the only way we know who is or who is not receptive to the gospel is when we begin to build bridges to a lost and hurting world. That there's an intention. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who are hungry and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Jesus wanted the disciples to go out and to see who was hungry. To pay attention. Now here comes the opposite. Verse 11. Any place that does not receive you or listen to you as you go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. In the Jewish culture, when a Jew would return to Israel from being away, particularly in Gentile land, they would return, many of them, and before they got on Israeli soil, they would take off their sandals, take off their tunics, and shake all the dust off of their uh, sandals and off their tunic. And the reason why is that they wanted to rid themselves of any type of Gentile influence in the Holy Land. So they would shake their feet. In other words, rid yourself of those who don't accept you, Jesus says. Matthew 7, 6 gives us this difficult instruction. Do not give what is holy to the dogs and do not throw your pearls before swine or they will trample them under their feet and turn you and tear you into pieces. That's a hard application, right? When a person's mind is firmly set against God, we need to turn our efforts to other people. Now you're probably saying, well, that doesn't, that doesn't seem fair. And I'm not saying that we don't continue to pray for them, love them, care for them. But if we stay with them, we are missing opportunities with others who are interested. And we pray that there is somebody else that will come along and share a message of hope with that person that they'll respond. But that just doesn't happen either. That comes from time with Jesus and asking him for discernment and a time spent with him. We are not to turn away from those who don't understand it or have questions about it. We're to be patient as the Lord is patient. 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Jesus is saying, after summing them to themselves, after sending them out in pairs, to pay attention to who's interested and who's not interested. Linger with those who are interested. Rid yourself of those who are not and pay attention. And ask God for discernment. Then in verse 12, we get finally the content of the message. Verse 12, they went out and preached that men should repent. 
preach, this word preach in the Greek is this word proclaimers. That they were proclaimers, these preachers, they were proclaimers of a message. And the message was, repent. Repent. Now, what is repentance? It always seems to have, when I was growing up especially, it always seems to have this negative connotation. Well, you need to repent. But that's not what repentance really is. Repentance is the changed attitude and lifestyle after the decision to return to Jesus has been made. Most of us know that repentance is different than confession. Confession means that you agree with God. Repentance means that you agree with God and your life will reflect that agreement. Meaning that there's a change. It's one thing to confess and say, God, you know you're right. Repentance is, God, you know you're right and I'm going to change. To repent means to change one's heart and mind, to fit into the action and mindset to become like Jesus. And the disciples were going out with a simple message. Repent. In other words, turn to Jesus. Not yourself. Not other uh, religions. Not other thoughts. But to Jesus. The simple message of, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him, not anything else, should not perish but have everlasting life. Believe Jesus. Reverse the way you're thinking. But there's this other thought about repentance Sometimes it can be in the church where we think, yeah, they really need to repent. They, they, need, they need to really change. Those people out there, they, they need to change their lives. They need to turn to Jesus. And maybe they do. But so do I. And I would venture to say so do you. Remember David's prayer in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, listen to it from the message. Investigate my life, O oh God. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine and test me. Get a clear picture of what I'm about. See for yourself whether I've done anything wrong. Then guide me on the road to eternal life. Now notice that last line. Then guide me on the road to eternal life. That means the road that I was on was not the road that was leading to eternal life. To the things of God. And so David prays, put me on the right road. Change me. So it's an application, it's a loaded question. Is it what is it that you need to repent of this morning? When's the last time you repented? The disciples were going to go out with this message of repentance, but as a a parental a principle is that for kids, you want to be what you want your children to become. And so the disciples, in some way, were going to have to experience repentance for themselves before they understood how to share it with others. So what is it that you need to repent of? Why does God want us to repent? Listen to Acts 3.19. It's a great verse. Therefore, repent and return. Why? So that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That's why we repent. Guilt and sin is lifted and a restoration in our relationship and our fellowship with Jesus. 
Jesus gave these instructions to go out and proclaim a message of repentance. And here's what he was doing is what he told what Paul told the church at Corinth. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Think about that for a second. That God, that the God of this universe would make an appeal to the world through me. That the God of this universe would make an appeal to the world to be reconciled back to him through me. Therefore, it is imperative that we spend time with Jesus and ask him to show us things that are out of place and repent of those things. What a powerful thought that God sends us out as ambassadors to make an appeal to the world about Jesus through me and my life. To return to Jesus. Not to return to come back to the church or come to a Bible study or serve, but to go to Jesus. This definition of ambassador is always one that's, that's helped me. An ambassador is one who represents and protects the interest of the one from whom he is sent. Jesus is the one sending us. And the final point is that he sends them out in power. Verse 13, And they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil sick people and healing them. The result of disciples' Christian service was help and healing, liberation and salvation by the power of God. And it changes life. God has given you and I an opportunity to partner with God in the gospel to change people's lives, both now and for eternity. Now, I, I just love the song we sang, the hymn of heaven. Can I ask you just imagine with me and think how I long to breathe the air of heaven. Wouldn't you just love to just take a peek in there? Think about the last verse, all the people of God with one voice, a thousand generations Seeing worthy as the Lamb who was slain. People we have had the opportunity to share the love of Jesus with will be there. That God used us in bringing people to Him in faith. Don't you long to see them there? Not something that we have to do, but that we get to do. These disciples, having, having been summoned to spend time with Jesus, to have their distinguishing marks put on them by him, sends them out in pairs to take nothing, to be fully dependent on him, to go out discerning who it is that he wants us to stay with and go for, with the simple message of turn to Jesus, repent, because there's power in a changed life both now and forever. Can I ask you an application question? Who is it that comes to mind that you need to share this message with? Who is it that comes to mind that says, these are the people? That person at work. This person in my family. 
a message of hope and power. A few application questions this morning. The first is this. Do you and I fully depend on God? Could it be, could it be that we're more dependent on the created things rather than the creator? Are you and I looking for and spending time with people who want to know more about Jesus? Are we asking God in our time with him, God, give me one, one person to share the love of Jesus with today. Grant me discernment. Grant me the ability in our culture to linger, to pay attention, to listen really well. The third one, repent. Are there areas of my life that need repenting of? An attitude change, a behavior change, maybe in your marriage or with your children, or maybe it's, maybe it's something that's private that you think nobody knows. A little secret, God does. It's not just a message of repentance, it's a lifestyle of repentance. Where there will be a refreshing joy on the other side. The ministry of reconciliation. We are ambassadors for Christ. Do we represent and proclaim Jesus well? This morning we're going to partake of communion. There's a theme in scripture in communion that I want to take a minute to unpack.